just really feel this morning uh, before Pastor Chi starts to preach that we would pray for him and not just him but us as a congregation that we will be ready to receive you know I it's funny I think um Kyle had a 90-minute conversation with Chi on Thursday morning and I had an hour-long conversation with Chi on Friday morning and his staff, you know when the phone call comes from Chi uh, to set everything aside and just listen and not just listen, he's seeking feedback, he wants engagement, he wants to, and and it's a question that's unannounced, so you've got to put your thinking cap on really fast and go, oh, how are we going to answer this? Because Chi thinks at a thousand miles an hour, and I think a lot slower. But um, why I tell you that is because uh, this message and this series of messages that Pastor Chi is bringing to us is not just something that is just thought about on, at 4 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Yes, that might be where it comes together for Pastor Chi, but he, can I tell you, he has been marinating on this stuff for many, many years. Uh, we're talking about vision at the moment. We're talking about uh, what this church is about, our DNA and our values, and and uh, it's just so important. And he's been he's been seeking the Lord to understand how to express these things. And sometimes it's it's difficult to express them in a sense because his heart is just going like this all the time, moving and just trying to understand what's God, the vision for this church, and how do we bring people along? How do we grow this? this church in, the, in line with what God's doing. And sometimes it's hard for us to go, okay, yeah, where do I find my place in that? So I just really believe that there's some, there's some wisdom, but there's a, a revelation that God wants to bring to the church through Pastor Chi, not just in today's message, but just overall. And uh, we as a congregation need to be ready to receive that and understand how God is moving in us. So sometimes you won't always understand or, or, or what's so significant about, you know, vision or, or, or that kind of thing. But we need to ha- have our hands open and just saying, Lord, would you, would you help me find my place in this, in this? Because ultimately we want to build the kingdom of God. And uh, Pastor Chi, we follow him. He's our senior pastor and we love him and we will serve alongside him. Um, but we want that vision to be flowed down from the heart of God through the structure to us as, as members of this congregation so that we can see a church on fire. Amen? A church on fire. So would you just put your hands out because we want to receive and, and be willing to hear uh, as Pastor Chi speaks um, and uh, just how do we find ourselves in what... Uh, God's vision is for this church. Lord Jesus, I pray firstly over Pastor Chi. I thank you for his heart. I thank you for the way he has led this church for uh, six years now, almost going into his seventh year. I thank you, Lord, that you have bestowed upon him gifts and abilities uh, that help him see ahead. And it's a beautiful thing. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to understand and integrate with that vision understand what God is doing in us personally and what God is doing in this church that is unique, that is new that is different so that we might unite together around the central person of Jesus Christ and step forward into what you have for us so Lord I pray that we are just ready to hear your word today and next week but going forward Lord we just want to walk together so that we can build the kingdom of God we love you we cherish that we can, we can be here in the presence of God on a Sunday morning and with brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord Jesus, we want you to be honoured and glorified in this place and may many come to know you and be discipled and see your face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, let me set myself up. Well, good morning. Isn't it amazing? You can really just sense um, God's presence here among us. And um, uh, I mean, before I begin, I just really want to say a massive thank you um, for, for this church and just to say thank you for allowing um, you know, me to, 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 to lead you and the privilege of doing that. I don't take that for granted. 
Um, and so, uh, I, you know, over the many, many years, I felt very loved, very supported. And, and you know, part of the, the challenge for me is also to still be part of the body of Christ. Amen? Yeah? Um, I'm not a perfect example, but I hope to be, you know, a living example of trying to go, God, in my brokenness, God, how do you help uh, shape me, mold me, and, and lead us? Now, I'm senior pastor of the church. If you're new here for the first time over the last, um, you know, um, last week, we kick-started our vision series. Now, this is my seventh year trying to articulate this, and as Pastor Paul has shared, um, you know, I really want us to come open-handed rather than going, oh, you know, I've heard it before, what does it mean? But to really come open-handed with humility to go, God, let me hear it differently. Let me hear it in a much deeper way, okay? Um, so for those who weren't here last week, um, I, I shared about God's vision for all of life, and, and that is to just give us the biblical confidence and the biblical imagination that God created all of life, God cares about all of life, and when sin came, it impacted every area of our life, yeah? And we don't want to let the devil win. Can I hear an amen? Yeah? We do not let brokenness, we don't let the devil win, but we know that when Christ has come, he doesn't just restore us into a relationship with him, but he comes to redeem and restore all things, because all things matter. And it is in here that we find God's redemptive vision, not just for the world, but also for our life. And that is where you're going to find your vision in this world. Can I hear an amen? Yeah? And so when I'm sharing about this vision, you know, to build disciples, to represent Jesus to everyone, everywhere, with everything, the key take-home point from last week is to go, that's not just the church's vision, this is actually your vision, yeah, God's vision for your life. And so today, I'm going to really hone in on this and go, okay, what does this mean for you? What does this look like for you? How do you find yourself in this? And I've titled it, Building Hall of Life Disciples, and then next week, we're going to go, what does this mean for us as a church? How do we become and build a Hall of Life Discipleship Church? Uh, and so why don't we get straight into it? We're going to go into Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 to 20. And uh, we read this last week, and we're going to go deeper into this, into its practical outworkings. Uh, this is really a summary of the gospel in a, in a different way. Yeah? And this Paul the Apostle writing to the church in Colossae, and here it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all, everyone say all, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all, everyone say all, all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Christ. And this is the word of the Lord. Let me just pray. Lord God, we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you just take your word and make it come alive. Help us to understand it in a deeper way, God. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we might see and understand the wisdom and the revelation and the multifaceted a vision of what this means for us in our life in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen, okay. Well, I want to begin by actually sharing why this vision is so important to me. Um, this vision is important to me because it's personal. Uh, it took me 24 years to finally see what I am talking about. 24 years. And it began... In 1998, when I was a uni student, I grew up in a non-Christian family. We migrated here when I was eight years old. I was part of this church, but uh, I came to church, but really, I didn't really listen to much. We used to have these green pews, and I would kind of stick the Bible behind underneath the pew, and it would stand up on its own, and I'll put my hand up like this and pretend I'm reading the Bible. But all this while falling asleep, well, whoever it is that was preaching, right? <laughs> um, but at that time, you know, God wasn't really real until when I reached a university. It was a focus camp, a uni camp. And that's when the gospel came alive. Jesus came alive. I was redeemed. I saw myself as a sinner. I repented. I had faith in Christ. I was reconciled. And it was in that moment that all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes upon my life to help me see, believe, have faith and trust. And I said, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord, Savior and Lord of my life. And with that, the Holy Spirit breathed into my life. And it was only a few months later in August 1998 that I actually got baptized. And I, that picture there, I believe, is Pastor Ken baptizing me. Yeah? 
Uh, so I want to give him a hand. Uh, yeah. Now, and throughout the year, um, I then worked as a dentist, and I began to serve, and and then all of a sudden, um, during that time, I realized that God had enlarged that, you know what, God's vision for my life is not just to have a personal relationship with me. I began to see that God actually wants to use me as an instrument, as a vessel for God to serve others in His kingdom. And with that revelation, the vision of God for my life grew bigger. And with that, I began to explore the gifts, the gifts of wisdom, the spiritual gifts of teaching. Uh, and, 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 and so be- I began to serve in many different ways, in prayer, inviting Bible studies, in worship. Uh, I began to serve in multiple ways, in leadership, in a life group. And as many of you knew, I, had can- I got married to my late wife, Way, at 24. Six months in, I was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. It took a year to recover. And coming out of that, I felt God give me a second lease of life. It's almost saying, I'm going to save you. You should have died but let me give you a second chance. And then in that, I felt the call of God to go into pastoral ministry. And through many significant encounters, it was an undeniable sense of call where God goes, if you could do anything with your life, I want you to give your life to becoming the highest calling, which is to be a pastor. And so here I was, I stepped into it and became a pastor. And during that phase of time, um, because I'd just gotten healed from my cancer, I'm one of the longest cancer survivors of my cancer, I began to have a real awakening of the Holy Spirit. And in that, I began to see that the Holy Spirit could do miracles. The Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit guides. The Holy Spirit does in us the work that Jesus wants us to do in us, but also through us. And in that, I saw the kingdom of God primarily through what the Holy Spirit could do in power, in prophetic, in miracles, in deliverance. And I began to pursue all those things. In fact, you know, so much so, we used to go what we call treasure hunting. You go around, have a prophetic word, and then you find those people and you pray for them, you know? We move into some of those things. You see deliverance, it was fantastic. And then in that time, I had a chance to go to India twice, you know? And in that, we had this massive 5,000 people outdoor gathering, and there was healing, miracles, deliverance. It was phenomenal. I loved it. And then a few years into my pastoral ministry, I had a renewal call, and in that I began to go, okay, God, what do you want me to do in my life? And, and in that, there was this significant lady by the name of Eleanor. Now, many of us might know, for those who have been here for a while, she was the late wife of one of our elders. And I remember this moment. She had a brain aneurysm twice. First time, it was a miracle that she survived, and then this second time, she didn't. But I remember going to the funeral, and at that funeral, uh, there was testimonies and eulogies, and in one of the eulogies, it was talking about how she was in ICU. And when some of the um, younger members of our church visited her, and that, imagine, in ICU, she was, you know, not well, okay? And then she'd be going, have you found someone yet? Right? Like a great auntie, you know? Have you found some handsome, godly man yet? And she'd be laying hands, praying for them or whatever. But that really moved me because in that moment, because I knew how difficult it is when you're in ICU to be able to even think about someone else. And then God showed me, He goes, Chi, 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 you're thinking about what you can do for ministry, but the kingdom of God is much not about just the miracle of power and deliverance and healing, but the miracle of a change and transform heart and life. Can I hear an amen? And in that, God showed me, He goes, don't look for big ministry because big ministry comes out of a big heart. And in that, God enlarged the vision of my former life. And so I continued in ministry and I had many chances to learn from many uh, church pastors overseas. I Went to visit UMC, which is a Methodist church, about two to 3,000 people. I spent a week with Pastor Daniel Ho. With our senior leadership team at that time with Pastor Phil, we went to Love, which is a massive Indonesian church with our life groups, and, and we learned about how we can grow the local church through life group ministry. I was one of 10 pastors that got a chance to go to America to visit some of the mega churches, and we visited a whole bunch of them across LA and Phoenix, and this is actually the baptismal pool for one of the churches. Yeah? It was called Mariner's Church in L.A. How many of us would like me to give an altar, uh, like a call right now? 
Who wants a baptismal pool like this? Put up your hand, right? The white box is there, right? Uh, let's all turn out our money and put it out there. You know that baptismal pool? The level list goes up and down depending on when they're going to do the baptism. It's incredible. I saw so many. It was just insane. There was a car park with thousands of people and you go up with golf carts. And, and I saw this mega church and this big church and I learned from it and I was inspired and I saw this vision of how God wanted to grow His church. And then a few years later, I had a chance to be part nominated of uh, one of 10 Australians to go to the Younger Leaders Gathering in uh, Indonesia. So it was uh, between 25 to 35 year olds, uh, 1,000 uh, people across 150 nations. And here I, I had uh, David uh, Bennett from U.S., I had Bonnie from India, I had a guy from Africa, the lady from uh, UK, one from Spain, another one from Japan. And in this community, all of a sudden, I saw the global church. I heard about Iranians in prison experiencing Jesus and writing Bible verses on walls in prisons. I heard about this guy by the name of Nelson who decided to run a textile business in India and to be able to see the unreached reach through his business. I began to hear about what God was trying to do in North Korea as they tried to work their way into that country and to bring the gospel there. I heard about people in China who were in prison. And this is all of us praying for the different nations. And this was us as the global church praying for those in China. And in that moment, God enlarged my vision. That God didn't just want to grow the local church. Hillsong's big. Planet Shakers is big. But the global church is bigger. Can I hear an amen? amen? Filled with all kinds of colors and races. But you know what was unique? In this group of people, and just to show that I was actually there, I decided to draw a circle. Okay? Right? I workshopped myself into there. But in that... I had this vision because most of them weren't pastors. There were psychologists, there were business owners, there were social workers, there were people along the halls, the student halls in Vietnam. And in that, all of a sudden, Ephesians became real in my heart where it says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the capital C church. And the church, capital C church, this church, amen? This church. Is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ. And Christ wants to do this. He wants to fill all things everywhere with himself. Can I hear an amen? How does he do that? How does he fill the corporate buildings? How does he fill the hospitals with his presence? How does he fill the prison systems? How does he fill the tax agent, right? Uh, 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 sphere. How does God fill all these spaces? It's with the everyday disciple. Can I hear an amen? And with that, God just enlarged and blew and grew his vision for my life. Anyway, a few years later, I had another chance. I was sponsored one of five pastors to go to US. I went to Denver, Colorado, and I became part of this faith, work, and economics network. Uh, by this guy called Tom Nelson, made flourish. It's beautiful. This is Grand Lake, Colorado. And here I was with about 20, 30 people. And again, the pastors were in the minority. There were engineers, there were business owners, there were accountants, there were teachers. And here in this room, we began to talk about how faith and work integrates. It doesn't just know about faith and work, but also the economy and how the economy can be redeemed. And, and, and then one of the key pivotal moments was Tom Nelson giving this pastoral confession. I've said it many times, but I'll say it again. It says this. He got up and he goes, I confess to my congregation. And his confession wasn't about misbehavior, moral uh, misbehavior, but it says, I confess to my congregation what he called pastoral malpractice. And I believe this kind of pastoral malpractice happens every week. And he said this, In spite of my best intentions, I had given minority attention to what the people were called by God to do with the majority of their lives. I had failed to see from Genesis to Revelation the high importance of vocation 
and the vital connections between faith, work, and economics. And somehow I have missed how the gospel speaks into every nook and cranny of life, connecting Sunday worship with Monday work in a seamless fabric of Holy Spirit-empowered faithfulness. Can I hear an amen? And with that, God's vision for my life grew bigger because the highest calling is not just that of a pastor, but the vocation that you find yourself in, where your front line is, even if you're a mother, a father, a grandparent, uh, an accountant, a, a, a factory worker, that is equally a higher calling if you're meant to cultivate God's bigger garden. And not only that, he grew it bigger because I realized I had limited our ministry to just a Sunday when now it's going to become the focus from Monday to Saturday for how we go about running and doing our church. Now, as big as this was, there were other things happening in my life. My parents got divorced. And eventually they remarried. I had to process, God, where are you in this? What does that mean? I got married to my late wife when I was young, and six months in, I had my cancer. And in that, I had to go sit on the disability pension, and, and then I got healed a year later. But I also got married into a family who had, uh, you know, one of the siblings had special needs. And you begin to understand, well, God, how do you shape and influence and speak into that where there is joys, but there's also challenges with that? And along the way, we tried to have a, a kid because I had chemo and radio. I was less likely to be able to have a, a, a child, a, more, a bit more challenging. But praise God, I now have Judah and Micah. But what did it, where was God in that? And where was God at work in that? And like most of you know, a few years ago, I lost my late wife to a sudden brain hemorrhage. And there I was in 2018 with many of you. I had to go through the phase of what it meant to be a single father with two boys and learning how to do what mothers would have to do uh, that I had to learn. And then not long after that, I realized I was actually a single again guy, but this time older. That's actually my um, online picture. <laughs> Is that? Oh, thank you. I was aware that it's like a laugh of uh, don't go near to that. Oh, it's like, woohoo, right? But that was the best picture I could find. But uh, praise God, I, it came across like I had a trustworthy face. Uh, I attracted Eugenia, who thought I was an Asian uncle. So if you're an Asian uncle, you drive Toyota, and all you have is a trustworthy face, right? You are in the good running, amen? Right, you're in good running. And then, as most of you know, a year and a bit ago, I got remarried and learning what it meant to uh, live a blended family. Let's give it a lot of hand, yeah? Now, as big as all it was, why am I sharing this? Was because all of a sudden with that, God expanded my vision. Now, I'm not going to blow into your pops. Because now, I could see God has a vision for all of life. A world where God's rule has no separation where it's not compartmentalized and contained within a bubble or a balloon. Where the divide between the sacred and secular was gone. Between the private and the public. Between the religious activity and work and church and culture. All of it. Can everyone say all? All of it, guys, matters to God. And God has a redemptive vision for all of life that includes redeeming all areas of my life, my marriage, my words, my mouth, my money, my dating, my technology, the way I resolve conflict, my ambitions, my self-esteem, my identity. God, redemptive vision includes all of that. Can I hear an amen? God is in the ministry of life. And because of that, life is our ministry. And we are called to glorify God in all of life. Abraham Cooper, who was a prime minister of the Netherlands in 1901, gave this famous quote. He says, there is no square inch. Remember, it's a prime minister. 
There is no, not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Jesus Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. That is my mouth. That is my bank account. That is my government. That is my country. That is my neighborhood. That is my child. That is my home. And when we say, Jesus, I want you as Savior and Lord, His Lordship is saying, everything is mine. Can I hear an amen? And all of a sudden, I saw God's redemptive vision for my life in His bigger story. And as I now began to read this, I read it so differently. Because in Matthew, Jesus gives this great commission and He says, He told His disciples, I've given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to attend church, go to life group, read your Bible, serve. Is, is that what he's saying? They're good things, they're important things. No, 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 but read this with what I've just been talking about. Teach these new disciples to obey all. Everyone say all. All. All the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so all of a sudden, it makes sense that Jesus is calling us. He goes, I want to build you. And what we call whole of life disciples as a way to capture that God cares about all of life. And He wants to redeem all areas of your life for the purpose of redeeming it to this vision. We're in Genesis because it's together where God blessed them and said to us as His new humanity, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. I've given every green plant as food for all wild animals, the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And all of a sudden, when you read this, you read this with a different vision. Can I hear an amen? That it's not just this local temple, but it is God's global earth to cultivate. It is not just the church ministry, but the ministry of life. All things. And so that's why we have this vision. The vision, and let's say it together. Ready? One, two, three. To build disciples who represents Jesus to everyone, everywhere, with everything. So what does God's redemptive vision for your life look like? Like this. This is the work that we've been trying to do to get clear. To put it in a simple sentence, and I know it's always going to be limited, but also with a visual representation, with the cross in the middle, that when Jesus comes into your life, He is Savior and Lord, Lord over everyone, or every relationship that you are in, and how you relate over every place that your foot steps in, but also everything that He gives you in your possession and within you. And to be a whole-of-life disciple is to say, I want to seek to represent Jesus in all areas of my life. Why? Because He's looking to redeem all of my life. And in every season of life. Now, why is this vision the way it is? Because it's meant to be adaptable. Your everyone, your season, your everything is different. Can I hear an amen? If you have 300 people in this room, you're going to have 300 different kinds of lives and different expressions. But yet, it's still the same vision that God wants to redeem you and express and live His life in and through you in your everyday world. And so when you look at this, this is how I want you to hear and understand it. And I want you to be able to see yourself in this vision like this. Yeah? That when you see the circle... You don't just see a circle, you see yourself. Now, I'll put a picture of me with a fish, right? That was the fish that we went fishing, I talked about, and after spending a few hundred dollars, it was just, that was one expensive snapper. But anyway, but it's to go, that is the vision. Who's my everyone? What are the relational ties that I'm in? Where are the places that I find myself in? What is the thing that God has given me to possess? What is it? What does that look like? And my question is, what does God's redemptive vision for your life look like? 
I want to pepper this through a whole bunch of things, okay? To illustrate what this could look like. So, um, my, 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 I've got uh, uh, two, two sons and an older son, and I remember as an example of how God was redeeming my communication at home with my son. Now, uh, we were getting ready for school, getting all the uniforms ready, trying to make sure that our shoes are all you know, the right size, not too small. And then uh, my son had gone into the, the cupboard to go grab the shoes and was very fussy saying, oh, look, you know, we, we don't have the, the right shoes, the right sports shoes. Then I just said, no, I'm pretty sure there is. There's a new one. But he didn't want it because he felt it was too heavy on his feet to play soccer. So I just said, look, I didn't get angry. I didn't do anything. I just said, look, just get it, get it done, just put it over there. Anyway, so I didn't yell, no screaming, none of that kind of stuff. But then later, as uh, I walked into the kitchen, I could see he was very upset and still upset. So I sat down next to him. And uh, at that time, you know, you can imagine, right? What does Ephesians 6, 4 says? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Yeah? And then so um, when I saw my, my son there, I sat down next to him, a little bit annoyed, and I just going, oh, hey, um, are you annoyed because you're not happy with my answer? Then he goes, no, not looking at me. Are you upset because you thought I raised my voice? He goes, no. I said, are you upset because you felt I dismissed you? Then he's like. And then in that moment, I, I could recognize that because, I mean, being married with Eugenia, a new person, she begins to share with me how sometimes I can come across dismissive, right? And I'm going, no, I can't. I'm not dismissive. Five, put up your hand. Wow, if you guys don't want put it high up. I want everyone to see this. High, super high, unashamedly. Put it high, high. Come on. Yes, yes. Oh, two hands. You're the most honest person here. Yeah, put like, like this, right? Right? Anyway, so my friend started sharing with me that he was seeking and listening to this sermon. And in this sermon, he talked about um, anger about marriage, XO Marriage on YouTube, fantastic channel on marriage, marriage today as well. But in that, it began to speak about, you know, in the verse, it talks about in Ephesians 4, be angry yet do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, do not give the devil a foothold. And it says these are four ways to manage your anger in terms of what the Bible says. Number one, do not deny your anger. It is real. It's okay. It's not, it's okay to be angry. It's how you process that anger. But some of us grow in a household to be angry is bad. And that was the kind of household I grew up in. Right? And it says, be angry, but, but second thing, do not sin. Do not allow your anger to control you and justify your bad behavior. How many of us do that? I'm only angry because you said that and you did that. Am I the only one that does that? Yeah? And then the third thing it says, you've got to find, it says, do not let the sun go down, right, in your anger. In other words, find a way to process your anger. A healthy way to process it because when you don't, if you carry on from yesterday's anger, last month's anger, the whole thing is going to blow up. But then the fourth thing is said, which really spoke to him, was it says this, do not go to bed angry. Why? Because you'll give the devil a foothold. Now, it spoke because how many of us have gone to bed angry? Yeah, put up your hand. And in that moment, you're kind of stewing, stewing. There's all these thoughts about what the other person said, what the other person did. Da, 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 da. And then he said, the word... Uh, the devil there is like someone who's a slanderer. And he comes in a stealthy way, coming into your thoughts as if it's your own thoughts, and he begins to slander your own spouse in those moments. You know your spouse? She's like this. He'll never listen to you. He'll never promise. He just doesn't understand. He doesn't appreciate you. All those thoughts in that moment. And when you go to bed angry, and you don't have a healthy way of processing it, you are opening yourself to the devil, slandering your spouse while you are in bed. And he shared with me about how he was listening to this sermon. And then the pastor began to say, well, for three years, I did not realize, but I had slept with the devil night after night for three years and allowed him to slander my spouse to me. To the point that I believed it. I believed I married the wrong person. I believe the person will never change. And it spoke to this person in a deep way. Amen? God was trying to redeem this person at home 
how he goes to bed and how he deals with his anger and his relationship with his spouse. God was there at work. Can I hear an amen? And I believe what I've just shared is an insight of God wanting to redeem you and your marriage right now too. Another example. I want to give many examples so you guys can see yourself in the vision. Some of you might feel like you're stuck in an unfulfilled job at work. I don't want this. When you say God's vision, Chi, what does that mean? What does that look like? And you imagine this amazing thing where you don't have to worry about finances anymore and you go and do God's ministry and God's work. But then all of a sudden, if you read 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says to these believers who were uncircumcised, circumcised, some of the married couples were both non-Christians and some came to faith and, and, and some of them were slaves and they're going, what should I do now that Jesus came into my life? What should I do? Should I change my job? I'm meant to be a free man, right? But then Paul says this, yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord has called you, you are now free in the Lord. And if you are free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. And so imagine, you're in an unfulfilled job, but yet in that moment, God is wanting to redeem you through this text to say you're looking for something bigger and better. But you know what? If you can find something good, go for it. But don't let your current unfulfilling job make you anxious. Use it for the glory of God. Can I hear an amen? And he's saying you're still a slave. If you can be free, be free. But remember, because of Jesus, you're now a free man. And in fact, your boss is a slave to sin. And here he was transforming his perspective in his existing job because fulfillment is not just found in your job. It's found in our relationship with Jesus. Can I hear an amen? And through that, you find fulfillment. Share two other things with this. A bigger story. Investments. And you'll hear me talk about this. No one comes to church to learn about money. But why? The Word of God says a lot about money. Shouldn't the church be the place where you can learn about what God says about money? I met a guy who was an entrepreneur, a business owner. And this, he had investments. And imagine, business, investments, and this was the way he was thinking. You know, when you read the parable of the talents, God gave you one, and then the other hit it, gave three, multiplied it, gave five, multiplied it, gave ten, multiplied it. This was this person. He had a vision of going, I want to raise a capital of one million dollars. And with that one million dollars, I want to set up the investment infrastructure that it can generate 10 to 15% every year. And with that, as a wholesale model, donate that to the church. So that the church can have a passive income of 100 and 150,000 every year, and that will not drop, and you can actually reinvest some of your, your capital back or use the capital however way you so wish. But that is the new funding model that I want to explore and see whether that works. Isn't that amazing? That's a big vision. That is the parable of the 10 talents, uh, the talents in action. That is Christ redeeming an investment mindset. I was, had the privilege of going to a business function this week. It was a dinner of a Christian CEO business owner. And he had 50 staff. And half the staff were Christian, half of them not. But I watched this person. They shared their, their, you know, their, their KPIs and how they hit revenue, how they hit their goals. But at the end of it, this person came up and he began to share this. It was amazing. He got up and shared. He goes, you know what the next phase of our company is going to be? I'm going to build, we're going to build a company on personal character. Amazing. And it says, because character is everything. You know, the Bible says a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. The context of your character is critical. When your character is lost, all is lost. When you take care of your character, your reputation will take care of itself. What is it that makes us a better friend, a wife, a husband, a worker? It's the one thing, your character. When we make good character the goal of our life, we live like this. Instead of avoiding pain, we will bear through it. Instead of withholding profits, we will use it as a greater blessing to others. 
for what they cannot do to help us. To help us. And it began to cast the vision and the implication of personal character on the way you will go about doing business. And he goes, we're going to build a structure for your personal character. What would the character trait look like in action day to day? That right there is culture. Culture is a sum total of how we treat each other. Then wherever you work, it will be the same. But we have to take the time to define it. We have to take the time to believe it and to live it. Because without a collective character, we cannot take it to the next level. Can you imagine, he said, if you work with our company, some people will come and go, but when you leave, you can actually testify, I have become a better husband, a better wife, a better father, a better mother, because I've worked with this company. Can I hear an amen? I was like, oh, I want to work for this company right now. He was integrating the problems of how to do business and character in a godly way into a space like that. He was a disciple whose everything was a CEO. And this is why he says, the one greatest thing I can do to use my leadership is to develop your character. <laughs> Amazing. Now, many of you guys would have worked in corporate. Have you, when was the last time you heard that? But this disciple, whose everything was a platform as a CEO, whose everyone was a 50 staff people, in a staff function, sharing the difference that Jesus makes to how they do business. Are you guys okay? Last one, chat GPT. How many of you guys have heard that? For those who haven't, you'll look it up. This new AI tech that when you put in there, it can give you any kinds of answers. I want to use this as a finishing point, like, you know, a tipping point to kind of go, what does this mean? As a church in this world with new technology, I was playing around with it. Eugenia didn't say this, but I was just playing around with it and I put it in there. My wife just asked me that she is fat. Is she fat? So I said, what should I say? So I asked ChatGPT and in less than 30 seconds, he wrote this. It is important to approach this situation with empathy and care. Here are a few suggestions on how to respond. Number one, validate her feelings. Acknowledge that her feelings are real valid. Let her know that you understand why she might feel this way and that you're there to support her. Number two, focus on her health. Instead of focusing on appearance, emphasize the importance of health and wellness. Compliment her. Focus on her positive qualities and strength. That you love and appreciate her regardless of her size and shape. Number four, offer support. Let her know that you're there for her. And all this time I'm going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, right? Uh, You're willing to support her in any way you can. Remember, the body image is a complex issue that can be influenced by a variety of factors, blah, 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 blah. And at the end of it, Eugenia goes, ooh, I think I might want to marry ChatGPT. (laughs) Now, when you do it and you use it, it does an incredible lot of things. And I know in the Christian world, we might be afraid. But if you're a disciple who represents Jesus to everyone everywhere with everything and you recognize that God created all things and He wanted to restore all things, sin distort things, but His redemption can redeem things, the question we need to ask is not whether this is good or bad, whether this is holy or unholy, is what is God's redemptive vision for this? Can I hear an amen? Because the printing press was new technology. It was going to take the Bible out of the hands of the elite few who could understand and read the Word of God. But Martin Luther believed that this was meant to be accessible to everyone. It was the primary way in which God would speak. But then here you have Johannes Gutenberg in 1436, when the printing press was invented, chose the Latin Bible as the first book to be published. And that's why this is in our hands today. Can I hear an amen? What took the church to be that front-footed with new technology that we are reaping the benefits for today, are we going to miss the opportunity and the mark today? Because we have a narrow gospel. We have an impoverished gospel. But are we going to be people of big gospel vision? Because God has a vision to redeem all things. Can I hear an amen? Because when this happens, This vision means you're no longer simply a Sunday church goer, but rather a follower of Jesus who goes, I want to see Jesus move in every area of my life. 
When you believe in this vision, it's no longer just about studying the Bible and attending church services and keeping it there. But it's about understanding and joining the dots about what the Word God says about everything from going to bed to how you manage your investments to how you speak and use your mouth, how you resolve your conflict and even with new technology. And if this vision was to be realized, it will mean that we're going to be living in a transformed world. A world where families will look different, where schoolyards will look different, where education will be different, where businesses will run differently. This is the implication of this vision. But it begins here. You. What has God placed in your hands? Who has God placed around you? And if there are three things in short that I want you, if you want to go, what we want to challenge people is going, are you all in with this vision? Can you see yourself in this vision? Because it's just three simple things. Number one, can you guys now see it? If you can see it, put up your hand. See what I'm talking about. What the Spirit of God is now moving, going, I'm bursting your balloon. Can you see it? Because it begins there. Can you see what God's big redemptive vision is for your life? If you can, align yourself with it. Because that's your vision. Number two, commit to the journey of change. Every example I gave confronts with this issue. Am I going to lay myself down and put Jesus on the throne? That's it. But that commitment is not just a commitment to volunteerism. It's a commitment to wanting to be changed, to be transformed, to do the hard work to see that happen. And the third, your greatest treasure is to represent Christ. This will come very, very ordinary for a lot of people. Just bear with me, two minutes, yeah? This is important, okay? The third thing is treasure Christ. I'm a person where I felt God has saved me and I'm like, I feel like I'm a cat with nine lives. I'm meant to die and you know, go to the ground many times, but I'm still standing. And I feel with that a deep sense of conviction and purpose and vision. But I remember this moment when way past my late wife. And I couldn't even think about church. Okay, I don't want to think about church. But what got me back on my own two feet was this verse. Because here was the Apostle Paul a church planter, an apostle who did miracles. But yet here he found himself in a season of prison. His feet were shackled. He couldn't be a mover and a shaker. And to some degree, I felt like that as if my arm had been chopped off and here with this, I'm going, God, I can't make sense of this and how am I supposed to even get my head above water? But in that, I read this and it says, Paul says this, and this is perspective. Yes, I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but will be full of courage now as always. Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, and this is the key thing. For to me, to live is Christ. Everyone say Christ. He didn't say for me to live, it's to plan a church. He didn't say for me to live is to preach and teach the Word of God. He said for me to live is Jesus. And when I heard that, I'm going, no wonder He said that. He didn't say anything else, but He said Jesus. Because if your greatest calling and purpose is to preach the Word of God, what happens when you can't preach it anymore? If your greatest calling is to plant churches, what happens when you can't plant churches anymore? Because life takes things into your equation that you never even considered. And yet here he found himself in the prison and you hear the heartbeat of this man that the thing that drove him, his greatest treasures, greatest treasured possession, it's just one word, Jesus. Jesus. And it made so much sense for me because now I'm in my season of grief. But God, your redemptive vision for my life is Jesus in my grief. Can I hear an amen? I might be single, and wondering and resting happy, but yet wondering what God's purpose in my life. Doesn't matter. Jesus in my singleness. I might have a child with special needs, but yet you know what? 
Jesus as a family with a child that God has bestowed upon me with special needs. I might be in my retirement phase and I feel like my body doesn't work as well. Doesn't matter. Jesus in your retirement. Can the world see Jesus there? And is that enough for you? Is that enough for me? And in that moment, I said, yes. Because what greater thing can there be? Can I hear an amen? Are you all in? Because next week, we're going to talk about what will this look like for us as a church. Why have we been doing things the way we have been doing as a church? Because I believe the strength of this will be as each and every single person, by the power of the Holy Spirit, experience refreshment and revival and sees and walks this redemptive vision for your life. And this is how I believe we're going to capture and lead this church. Every one of us doing that. So why don't we rise to our feet? And what I want to be able to do is commission each and every one of you. Next few weeks later, we're going to be praying for the the church staff and all that kind of stuff and the volunteers. But I believe that each and every one of you are missionaries in life. And I want to pray and commission each and every one of you, yeah? So I want you maybe just to put your hand on your heart. And then as uh, the worship team, as they they play, I want to stretch out my arm towards you as, as a symbol that my role as a pastor is to be able to commission each and every one of you as missionaries in life to do the ministry of life. It is a holy calling. It is a big calling. It is a significant calling because of the significant task of making Jesus known. Lord God, I just pray right now for every single member that's here, whether they're young, they're old. Lord God, whether they're working in, 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 as a doctor or whether as an accountant or even as a teacher or whether they're in a season of sickness, God, or even a season of just marriage difficulty. God, I pray that in all of it, I pray right now, God, that you would give them a redemptive vision, your redemptive vision for their life. And Lord God, I thank you that you have not left us alone. I thank you that you have put your Holy Spirit in us. You've given us your word. You've given us this community of faith so that we can see and work with you to see your redeeming work at work in our hearts and in our lives. I pray for your authority to be given to each and every one of them, that over every life issue that they overcome, that they will have an authority to minister as a life missionary in that area of life. God, I pray for your anointing to come upon them. Lord, that you, they'll begin to hear the guidance of your spirit. They'll begin, eyes will be able to see the power of your word. They'll begin to have the power to obey it and see the power that the Word of God with the breath of the Spirit has in bringing change and transformation in the lives and hearts of people. God, I pray for imagination to be birthed, like the CEO of that business. Lord God, like the investor, people to imagine outside of the box, God, because of what you placed into their hand and how you want us to cultivate your world. And I pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen, Amen.